0: That I was going to start back into a series that we had started back in the summer called uh, Liberty and Justice for All, and I still am planning to get there. I've read too many books not to get to uh, that topic, so we will get there. But as I was in my studies this week, I just felt compelled that we—I wanted to spend one more week looking at this topic of the afterlife, specifically on the uh, the idea of our resurrection bodies, and so that's what we're going to take a look at today. Um, Our soul separates from our physical body when we die, and uh, one day your soul is going to be reunited with your physical body, and you'll get a new body, and that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can flip over, or you can follow along with us on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 42 through 44, and then verses 50 through 52. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 42. Here we go. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 50, I tell you this brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, these verses are a handful of verses in the scriptures that talk about our resurrection body. There's other verses in scripture that give us additional detail and additional insight into this topic matter, and we'll get to those here in just a little bit. Today is much more of a teaching, uh, sort of a, well, that's not the new, right? So, but anyhow, it is teaching, so you need to put your thinking caps on, uh, to follow along with me. Um, and so Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 15 to address questions, or the question about the resurrection body. Uh, the, the Corinthians that lived in Corinth, the or, did I say that right? Corinthians that lived, no. The Christians that lived in Corinth, known as the Corinthians. Did I say that? Maybe I got it wrong. I'm just going to move on. That's probably the best thing to do, but anyhow, the folks that live there, Paul um, is writing to answer some of the questions that they have, and one of the questions that they had was about this resurrection body. So if you go back to verse. 35. Verse 35, Paul opens up this discussion. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come? And then what Paul does in the ensuing verses, he gives five characteristics of what this resurrection body is going to be like. Number one, Paul says, the body that you get is going to be a heavenly body, a heavenly body. Paul writes in verse 40, he says, that there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So Paul says there's two categories of physical bodies. There's the one that you have right now here on the earth. He calls that your earthly body. And then there's the body that's going to be resurrected, that's going to live on. We'll talk about some of those characteristics of it here in a minute. But he calls that your heavenly body. Um, and so you say, well, Gordon, I know what the earthly body is like. I've got one of those, right? I know how, what, that, what that's all about. But what about this heavenly body? What's this heavenly body gonna, that I'm going to get? What's it going to be like? Well, again, the Bible tells us, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul writes there, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his physical body. So the body that Jesus resurrected from the dead, right? that is what our new body is going to be like. It's going to be like the body that Jesus got. That's what Paul's telling us here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Um, And so... You know, Jesus looked mostly the same, right? People could recognize him, so it's some of his physical features were the same. I don't know if uh, some blemishes were gone. I don't know how that works, but in any case, he was recognizable. Jesus's physical body could pass through walls. Remember, we're to get the same body that Jesus had. Uh, if you remember, the disciples were all huddled together after the crucifixion, and the, they were behind a locked door. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room. He just passed through the wall, and he's standing there in the midst of them. And they think that he's a ghost. And he says, fellas, give me some food. Let me prove to you that I'm not a ghost. And so they bring him some food, and he consumes the food. He eats the food to show them he's not an apparition, but that he really is physical flesh. And so this is the kind of body that we're going to get. We also know from Jesus' resurrection body that it could levitate or fly. If you look in Acts chapter, you say, what? Where'd you find that from? Well, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended on up into heaven, so gravity had no impact on him right? He could pass through walls and he could fly. He said, Gordon, I've always wanted to be able to fly, well, you'll get your chance one day, right? So again, Paul says there's two categories of body. There's a kind that we get on earth that we have right now, and then there's the heavenly body that we will get one day, and it'll be like the body that Jesus had after his resurrection from the dead. Y'all with me so far? Okay, number two, not only are these new bodies going to be heavenly bodies, but they're also going to be imperishable bodies. That is, they'll be bodies that never die. Paul writes, verse 42 he says so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown that is what's put into the ground what's put into the grave is perishable something that will die he says but what is raised what will rise up from that will be imperishable verse 43 it is sown in dishonor it will be raised in glory it is sown in weakness we know all about weakness A physical body is weak he says but what is raised will be raised in power friends our earthly bodies are perishable they will one day die. You've heard people say before, I make the observation that there's two things that are true of every life, or two things that are true in life, death and taxes, right? So we know that death is coming and we know that taxes are here. Um, And so he's saying, look, this body that we've got right now, it's going to decay. This body that we've got right now is going to grow weak. It's going to experience heart disease. It's going to face old age. But Paul says the new bodies that we get, those bodies are going to be imperishable. They're going to be bodies that are strong, and that are not subject to decay. Think about that. An imperishable body means that the new body that we get won't be subject to injury. My daughter the other day twisted her ankle, had a little sprain thing going on. That won't happen. My other daughter's sitting at the house right now recovering from a wasp sting. She can't hardly see out of her eyes, right? But that sort of thing won't happen with these new bodies that we've got. Uh, They won't feel exhaustion. Our new body won't have aches and pains. They won't be subject to bacteria. They won't be subject to viruses. Right? We won't have to shut everything down. We we'll won't have to worry about that. They won't be subject to decay or disease. We will be like the man of steel with a big S on our chest. That's what these new bodies are going to be like. What that means is that in heaven, there will be no wheelchairs. In heaven, there will be no walkers. In heaven, there will be no handicapped parking spaces because there will be no handicapped bodies. In heaven, there will be no crutches. In heaven, there will only be full heads of hair. In heaven, there will be no respirators, no hearing aids, no pacemakers, no insulin shots, no antibiotics, no drive through pharmacies, no anti-convulsants, no radiation treatments, no chemotherapy, friends. We won't need any of that stuff because the bodies that we get, our resurrected bodies, will be bodies that are imperishable. They will, be, they will live forever. All right, number three. The body that you get in heaven, it's not just going to be a heavenly body, it's not just going to be imperishable, but number three, it's also going to be a body that is free of sin nature. Look at verse 44. Paul says, it is sown, this body is sown into the grave, a natural body, but it is raised, he says, a spiritual body. And what the Bible is referring to here is the fact that the body that is raised is going to be one whose instincts are to honor God, whose instincts are to do righteousness and to be obedient to God. It won't have a sin nature. The body that we've got right now wrestles with sin. The body that we've got right now wrestles with disobedience. But the body that we get will be a sinless body. This means, again, that your compulsions, your natural reactions to things, instead of being for harm, instead of being for lying, instead of being for stealing, instead of being for conflict or greed, all of that will change. Your new instinct will be to serve God and what that also means is that every two-year-old and three-year-old, the only answer they'll ever give you is yes. And all the mom said, amen, right? Number four, the body that you get in heaven, I can't say for certain that it won't be genderless, won't be male or female, but we can say with certainty that the body that we get in heaven will be free of uh, sex. There will be no sex in heaven. Flip over with me to Matthew chapter 22. Here Jesus is talking about the resurrection body as it pertains to marriage, and he says, Matthew 22 and verse 30, he's been peppered with some questions by some of the doctors of the law, they've thrown some stumper questions at Jesus, and he's been working through his response to that, and so here's part of his response, he says, "For in the resurrection, which the people he was talking to didn't believe in, he says, in the resurrection, uh, talking about married people here, they will neither marry... Nor will be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. You say, "Well, what are the angels in heaven going to be like? Well, we know that the angels in heaven don't die. The angels in heaven are imperishable. right? And so because of that, the angels in heaven aren't married. One of the chief reasons for marriage is procreation, right? Because we die. and we need to keep the earth population going, right? And so he, Jesus is saying here in these verses that people won't be given in marriage when they get to heaven. They won't be married when they get to heaven because there'll be no reason to create more of you. You won't die. And so that's his teaching here. So sex will be a thing of the past. Let me read it again, verse 30. For in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but will be like the angels. You say, Gordon, that's kind of disappointing, right? I I mean, I love my husband. I love my wife. I want to spend eternity with them. Are you saying that we're not going to be able to be married in heaven? No, friends, that's not what I'm saying at all because last week we saw that Abraham and Lazarus and the rich man, they all retained their memories. They all retained their identities from when they were here on the earth. But when they got to heaven, Jesus is saying that the sexual aspect of life will be eliminated. There'll be no need for it. Okay, last of all, not only are we going to get a body that's heavenly like Jesus is, not only are we going to get a body that is imperishable, not only are we going to get a body that is free of sin nature and where sex is no longer in view, but last of all, Number five, it's a body that is required for us to live in heaven. Look at what Paul writes, verse 50. He says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit, that is, cannot go into, cannot enter into the kingdom of God, just the way perishable bodies right now cannot inherit the imperishable. What that means is, is that the bodies that we've got right now cannot go into heaven. If you want to go to heaven, and I want to go to heaven, And we've got to figure out a way to get one of these imperishable bodies. That's the only way we're going to get in there, is with one of these imperishable bodies. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, that happens, friends, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. When we look to the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and the blood that he shed as our sole means for gaining entry into heaven, and that we don't put our faith and our trust in our good works, we don't put our faith and our trust in, in in, in our philanthropy, that we don't show up in heaven and say, hey God, look at all the good things that I did. I hope the good things outweigh the bad things. No, friends, that's not going to get us into heaven. The only thing that's going to get us one of these new bodies, the only thing that's going to get us into heaven is by putting our faith, our hope, our total trust and getting into heaven in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to enter into a real and personal relationship with Jesus, that's something for you to think about. You say, Gordon, I got a couple of questions sure thing first question when is this going to happen paul tells us keep skip on down verse 52 he says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye in other words very sudden like without any kind of warning at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed paul is referring here to an event that theologians refer to as the return of christ um, I've got a slide for you here, and it's a timeline of human history. So let's take a look at this real quick. You see on the far side of it, on the, your, your left, right? You see time begins uh, with creation. So when God created the heavens and the earth, placed man on the earth, that's when time began. Um, and then you have the fall that took place. And so this is, again, human history is going on here. And the whole Old Testament uh, is the first half, if you would, or first piece of human history and during that piece is the age of the law this is when the laws of moses were given to the israelites and god the father came down during that period of human history and inhabited where anybody tell me the tabernacle right the tab word tabernacle is a hebrew word it's a verb and it literally means to dwell and so god named the place where he was going to be to dwell named it tabernacle so god was going to come and tabernacle or dwell in the midst of his people And then when we come to this intermediary period, a transition period between the age of the law and the age of the spirit, the age of the spirit is the age that we live in now. It's the church age. It's the age in which God dwells in us, right? First Corinthians chapter six and verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple is the place where God lives. Your body now is where God lives. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And we're living in that age, but there's an intermediary period between when the Father was here on earth and now when the Holy Spirit is here on the earth, and that's when God the Son was here on the earth. And Jesus Christ came in the person of Jesus. Uh, God the Son came in the person of Jesus, died on a cross, ascended back up to heaven, and he's with the Father in heaven, but the Holy Spirit's still with us. This age will come to an end. This is biblical view of history. This age will come to an end, and we refer to that as the end of time. And the end of time will happen with the return of Christ. So when Christ appears in the sky, then time will be no more. Human history will come to an end. So it kind of helped me wrap your head around that a little bit. Paul just talks about some of the details of this event, the return of Christ, in 1, of, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then verse 17 then we who are alive who are left who have not died will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will always be with the lord paul says that just as jesus ascended up into heaven he is going to appear in the sky and when he appears in the sky he will bring with him the souls of those who have died already and then those souls who are still alive at the time who are whose souls are still in their body because they're still living breathing here on the earth They will see the graves pop open. They will see the sea give up up the dead that are in them. And they will see these rise up, these bodies rise, these resurrected bodies rise up into the sky to meet their souls in heaven. And then the bodies of those who are here on the earth, this is all 1 Thessalonians chapter four, the bodies of those that are still here on the earth, alive at the time that see that it happens and then they'll be called up to meet Jesus in the sky. Paul said, verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You say, okay, but aren't those bodies going to be in kind of rough shape? (laughs) You know, they've been been dead for a long time. Some of them have been fish food. Some of them have died in a fire. Some have been cremated before. I mean, how's God going to do this? How's he going to work this thing out? Well, friends, I have no idea how God's going to work this out. I know that he formed man out of the dust of the ground once, and I imagine he can handle it a second time. So I'm just going to leave it up to him to how he's going to make all that happen. All right. well that's our treatment of this topic today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You say to yourself, Gordon, I mean, that's good stuff to know. I mean, if I wanted to sit down and fall asleep reading some theology, maybe that might be the topic, right? But I mean, you're talking about something that could be 100 years in the future, hundreds of years, thousands of years into the future, I could be dead and gone by the time it all happens. What difference does saying this make to me right now where I'm living today? Well, let's see if we can answer that. Perhaps you've heard it taught before that believers who die will enter some sort of a soul sleep. Have you ever heard that before, that people who die, they fall asleep? And it's kind of like they stay in an unconscious state until Jesus returns, and then it's like they, they fell asleep and they wake up immediately. Have you ever, ever heard somebody teach on that before, perhaps? Um, and there's some verses in the Bible that kind of describe something along those lines. So let's take a look at those. Um, earlier in this very chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6, Paul uses the phrase, fallen asleep. He says, Then Jesus appeared, that is after his resurrection, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, at the time that Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, though some of them, he says, have fallen asleep. Now, this phrase in Bible times was widely used as an expression to show that death was only something temporary, that death was like sleep. I mean, it was something that happens, but it's not, you know, just, you know, lay there forever. And this can be seen in Jesus' assessment of Lazarus' condition. Uh, Lazarus, who had died, uh, some folks come and give Jesus a report, he's up by the Sea of Galilee, that his friend Lazarus is dead back in Bethany, back near Jerusalem. It's a two-day trip there. And uh, Jesus said, his, these are his response when he hears the news. John chapter 11 and verse 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. There's our term. He says, but I go to awaken him. Verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, I mean, he'll recover. He'll be all right. You know, there's no reason for us to make a two-day trip all the way to Bethany just to wake up Lazarus. I and mean, somebody could just jostle him and do that, right? I mean, you know. Verse 13, but Jesus had spoken about his death. You see, he uses that that phrase, falling asleep, interchangeably, and they did that back in Jesus' day. He was referring to the fact that Lazarus had died, but the disciples thought, took him literally, that he meant Lazarus was taking rest and sleep. So Jesus corrects them, verse 14, then Jesus told them very plainly, Lazarus has died. Knuckleheads. (laughs) Come on, get with the program here, he says. That's not what I meant. What I meant was that he has died. And so this phrase in Scripture of someone falling asleep is kind of like us saying that someone has passed away. It means that they have died. We can also add to that evidence Paul's affirmation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. Paul says, I would rather be away from or absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. Paul is saying here that to be absent from the body, that is, my, I breathed my last breath, my soul has departed my physical body. He says, to be absent from that, is to be present with the Lord. He didn't say a thousand years from now to be present with the Lord. He said, he's talking about the right here and now. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he said to him, today, you're about ready to die. And he said, today, a little bit later on, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say in a couple thousand years, at the end of your soul sleep, you'll be with me. He said, today, it's going to happen. As soon as you breathe your last, the two of us will be together. The consistent teaching of Scripture and straight from the lips of Jesus himself is that the souls of believers will go immediately into the presence of God. You say, okay, but again, what difference does this make to me here and now? Well, friends, the difference that it makes is that we know our loved ones who have passed on before us, whom we cherish and love, are not hanging out at the cemetery. It's not where they are. As soon as they breathe their last, friends, And they had put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They went immediately into the presence of Christ. They're not asleep waiting on his return. No, they are alive. They are fully conscious. They are experiencing heaven. They are reunited with others that have gone on before them. They are safe. They are secure. They're having conversations with Moses. Hey, what'd you do today? Talk to Moses. I mean, sounds pretty cool to me. Talked to the apostle Paul, shook hands with Queen Esther. Pretty neat stuff. They're, at, they're up in heaven with grandma and grandpa. They're with friends and family. And so because of this, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4, and verse 13, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. There's our term. About those that have passed away, that have died. He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no Paul doesn't say that we won't grieve. Please don't, under, don't misunderstand Paul here. He knows that we're going to grieve. Jesus himself wept over the death of Lazarus. Paul is saying, though, that our grief as believers is also mingled with hope. That we know that our loved ones are safe with Jesus. They're experiencing all the joys of heaven. That though their lives on this earth have come to an end, their life in eternity is just beginning. You know, one of the most well-known and most prolific hymn writers of all time was a lady named Fanny Crosby. She was born in 1820. She died in 1915 at the age of 94, if my math is right. Or Yeah, no, yeah, I think it was 94. Anyhow, she wrote over 8,000 hymns over the course of her lifetime. Pretty amazing lady. As a baby, she had an eye rash that a quack doctor recommended putting a poultice on and they placed this mustard poultice on her eyes, and it's believed that that burned her retinas, and it caused her to be blind for the rest of her life. Her father died when she was just six months old. She was raised by her mother and godly grandmother. About the loss of of her eyesight, Fanny said, and I quote, If perfect earthly eyesight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to pray, to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She said, when I get to heaven, I look forward to the first face I ever see, to being that of my Savior. You know, one of Fanny's most beloved hymns is the hymn titled Blessed Assurance. Let me read you just a few of the words. It begins, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. She's thinking about heaven. She's thinking about when I get to heaven, I'm going to encounter my risen Savior. And then she says in the second verse, and remember, this was a lady who had never seen the light of day. She writes, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy and whispers of love. And then finally with verse three, she says that between now and then, in this time while I wait to go meet my Savior, she says, perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. I'm watching, I'm waiting, I'm looking above, filled with his goodness lost in his love. Friends, as Paul said in First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, that we he does not want us to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that we may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You have put your faith and your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, friends. Heaven will be your eternal home and you will spend it there with all those that have gone on before you. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today, to be reminded of this great truth that the struggle we experience in this life, the heartache that we experience in this life, God, that that is not going to be eternity for us. Lord, you have something so much better. And so, Lord, we just in our hearts humbly say thank you God, we ask that you would comfort those that have lost loved ones in past years. God, that you would uh, just invade their minds, their hearts today with this truth. That their loved ones are hanging out with Moses today. Are sitting at table with Queen Esther. And are looking upon your life for them it's just beginning God comfort us with these thoughts today we come around this table now to be reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body as the means for which we can have eternal life Lord may your Holy Spirit speak to us comfort us encourage us in these quiet moments today we pray these things in Christ's name Amen On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. The elements are there in front of you. If you like, you can participate with this communion meal today. Let's take a few moments of quiet reflection and then we'll um, continue with our worship.